I've uh, entitled this message A Plea to Young and Old and Everyone in Between. Our passage mentions uh, youth, and of course, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's in some ways it's a great time to, to you know for, for, for young people to, to have that uh, vigor, that enthusiasm, strength. So yes, it's it's a it's a blessed time, um, and. You know, the young person looks out on this world and sees uh, innumerable opportunities to do things. And they have, they hope, they have a, a reasonable hope that they will have maybe, you know, decades in, in which to do these things. Youth is also quite a crucial time, quite a serious time as well. Uh, imagine, imagine a, a 13 or 14 year old pupil in school being asked to make decisions on what, to, what they might study in the years ahead. Decisions which might affect the rest of their lives. So it's a crucial time. Young people come to these crossroads and they need to make important decisions early on when they are probably uh, least equipped to make this important decisions. The point of the scripture and this passage in particular is that people, and here young people especially, should learn to put God at the centre of their lives now. They should put God at the centre. What does it say? Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. Remember now. The passage today then explores youth, it mentions youth, it mentions old age, it mentions death. And so there we have, there we have the outline of what I'd like to bring out today. So in terms of youth, we have in verse, um, verse 9 of chapter 11. It says there, rejoice, O young man. This is advice to, to this, this uh, young lad. So obviously it can be extended to young people in general. Rejoice in your youth, it says. It's telling the young person, by all means, explore life. You know, if you have ambitions to, to travel, you, you can do that. You can learn whatever subject you're, you're, you're inclined to learn. The opportunity is out there. There's just so much to do. You can learn musical instruments. It is good to find enjoyment in life, as the preacher has been telling us repeatedly. So explore, it says. Go out, explore life. But you must remember that judgment is coming. Judgment is on the horizon. And that judgment will take into account how you've spent your time. How you've lived your life will be analysed, if you like, fairly. It will be analysed. How, how much did you put God at the centre? 
Did you put God at the centre of your life for most things, but have these little pockets of your life where God is not allowed to enter, which is often the case? So there is a warning there. There's a warning about judgment. So it says, remember your creator. Remember. The word remember, it should be pretty obvious. Normally we say to people who we think maybe are at risk of forgetting something, we will say, remember now. If you're the last to leave the house, remember to lock the back door and shut the windows and so on. Remember. That's not the whole sense of it though, because we, we read in the Old Testament, we read how God remembered his people. Now hang on, God did not forget his people. He didn't forget anything about them. God, in remembering his people, God chose chose to, if you like, bring to mind his contract, his covenant with the people, to remember it. And in that way, he, he keeps his people at the centre of his thoughts. We, young people especially, but all, are asked to remember God. Keep him at the forefront of your mind, keep throughout the day bringing him back in to your thoughts. It doesn't say no to remember your God, remember your Lord. It doesn't say remember your Saviour or your Redeemer. It says specifically remember your Creator. Now that might direct your thoughts back to Genesis when we think about creation. And the young person's reminded that they are uh, a creation of God. It was not only Adam that was made the way he was. Remember, Adam was just a lump of uh, carefully crafted chemicals, ultimately. What made him a living person was the introduction of something else. The breath of life from God. And Adam became this living soul, this living person. The young person is to remember that God, at some point in the, maybe in the womb, say, let's say in the womb, as God was knitting together all the body parts and forming them and growing them, he was at the same time infusing the spirit of life or the breath of life into, into that, into that uh, lump of cells. And so we have suddenly this living person in the womb. It's one of the arguments we perhaps would use against um, uh, abortion. It's, it's because we believe there is life in that womb. So remember your creator, the young people are told. They're encouraged to form godly habits now that will last that will last their whole lives. You'll notice in verse 10 as well, it adds on to this. Verse 10 of chapter 11 talks about self-care. Remove vexation from your body and put away pain. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. So there's two aspects. There's our, if you like, our, our I like to think it means Look after your mental health, 
and your bodily health as well. So while you are young, how can you look after your mental health? Well, you can, there are ways you can, you can take care, you can get help, you can speak to people through prayer and so on. And also bodily, you don't abuse things, you don't eat too much, you don't eat too little, you don't abuse drugs, you don't go to excess with alcohol or anything else. Youth, remember your Creator. When we get to the beginning of uh, chapter 12, uh, we, we, we notice uh, just straight away there that in verse 1, it fast forwards to old age. Remember your Creator now, before you're old. They, they've missed a the chunk out there. They've missed a the chunk out. What about me? I don't think I don't think I'm old. I don't think I'm elderly, and I don't really count as a youth anymore. Middle age, then. What about all those middle years, the in between people? It seems to have omitted this. Why? Why? What use is there in omitting this this big chunk of life? Well, it occurred to me that it could be because the preacher here wants us to understand, wants young people to understand. That life just vanishes and the transition from being young and full of life to being old is, will be quicker than you can imagine. You think five decades or so is a long, 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 long time. Well, I guarantee to young people it will go faster than you can believe. So this omission, if you like, this deliberate omission causes us to remember that there's a, there's a fast forward from youth to, to old age. It's just, it's the same spectrum. And we might even say that youth is the start of old age. Youth is the early stages of old age. Because friends, once you reach that magical age of 21, the deterioration starts then. That's a depressing thought for young people. The deterioration in body starts when, when you are young. And you can remain fit. You can do that. You can remain fit and supple if you, if you make the effort. But still, the inward deterioration, it's inevitable. And so I'd say there's a message there for young people and, and also for the people in the middle as, uh, as we, we, people like people in their 30s and 40s and 50s and maybe 60s, they're in this middle bracket, and there's a message here for them. You know, you've already gone halfway or most of the way, so you need to, you, need to, you know, think carefully about how you are uh, using your life as well. Think about how it describes old age here in verse 1. Some very negative comments here. It says in verse 1, Old age is described as the evil days. The evil days. It says, in the same verse it says, about no pleasure, having no pleasure in them. Now, if you are, say, 70 and reasonably fit, you might say, well, that doesn't describe me. I, I, don't, I don't feel like that. In fact, if, if uh, George was here today at the back, George is, uh, is he retired or is he just about to retire? Um, 
You ask George, are you like an old geezer? Are you an old man now? Well, of course he doesn't feel that way. George is running around the place and working and he's full, full of vigour. But you go, go and visit Don, who's 90-odd, and Don says, I'm just fed up. Every day is a battle. He's fed up with life. He wants to go. He wants to go and be with God. So it's no wonder these, these terms are used, because that's the norm, isn't it, for, for, for old age? Because it's associated with a decline and weakness and illness. In fact, the previous chapter, verse 11, it says, Days of darkness. Sounds very gloomy, doesn't it, Mavis? Days of darkness. Now, if you're a Christian, you can have joy till the day you die, even if you live to 110. You can have joy in your suffering. Most people on this planet don't have God, don't have the Spirit, and therefore don't have recourse to that, that uh, to, to God's uh, peace and blessing. But even the Christian, even the Christian, as they get older, they start to notice the number of tablets they take each day increases. They take tablets for this, then they have to take tablets for the other. Then we have to take tablets to counter the effects of the first tablets. And every day there's pain, there is discomfort, stiffness. And it probably is not go going to go away anytime soon. So old age. Well, this uh, I want you to understand this whole scripture today is about, it's about one thing. It is that old age is coming, death follows, so get yourself in order now. Get right with God now, put him at the centre of your life, okay? Now having said that, there are details here in the preacher's description, which I would like to comment on. Now, the problem, as I said to you a few weeks ago, is that Ecclesiastes being what's called wisdom literature, like the Proverbs, they use sayings, idioms we call them, sayings from ancient Israel 2,000, 3,000 years ago. So it's going to be difficult, one, to translate them, to know how to translate them, and secondly, how to interpret them. I can tell you that there is, in these verses, there is wide, uh, there's a wide variety of opinion. I am not going to be the one to um, tell you what, what these mean. And, you know, I mean, th these debates have gone, been going on for, for many centuries. I just wanted you to keep in mind the main message. It doesn't matter if you disagree with me on my understanding of these verses, as long as you accept what the whole thing is about. So what I will do today is I will give one interpretation. It's probably not right, but, but there it is. You can speak to me afterwards. You can uh, hopefully be prompted to go and look into this yourself. Um, I'll give you an example. Like in verse 2, it says... It says, you know, that the sun, the, the, the light and the, the moon are darkened and then the clouds come back. That could be a number of things. It could be referring to a storm. 
It could be referring to um, a person's eyesight deteriorating. The lights up there are dim because of your eyesight problem. It could mean something else, like the, the light of life is going out. You see, there's all different ways of reading this. I don't want you to get bogged down, but I will just go through a few of them. Create a picture in your mind. And remember uh, the, the overarching message. So in verse 3, it begins with, this, uh, with these pictures. So when I read this, I, I, I pictured a... Uh, Picture a village, a country village. I, I pictured a, a, a house, a bit of a posh house. They had, a, you know, there was the, the man and his wife, elderly, kids have left. They still have a couple of servants. They have a gardener and a, and a handyman. So picture, picture that, if you will. And so it begins in describing what old age is like. It begins by talking about the. The keepers of the house, in verse 3, I take that as servants, the keepers of the house, so the servants. It says that they tremble, and, and so this is quite common when people get older, the nervous system begins to break down, and you can imagine this guy holding a tray and, and, and just shaking and not being able to control this. It goes on to say, the strong men are bent, you can imagine the old gardener there, fit as a fiddle for many years, but now bent over with a, 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 a deformation of the spine. And he's, 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 uh, he's bent over, and it talks about the grinders. It can mean one of two things, but uh, the grinders could be the, the maids who grind the corn. And so they're, they're old, they're weak, they're too old to work. And so the grinding, starts to come come to an end. It's all going downhill in this house, isn't it? I, I thought I'd mention that um, that grinder, you know, uh, the Hebrews use grinder for a couple of things. I've just mentioned one. Two women with the, with the big round stones and they're, they're doing this and they're putting a the corn in the middle and, the, and they're grinding it. That's, but then the Hebrews used that picture to describe your molar teeth. Right? Why? Well, what do we do with molars? We grind food. And so the same word is used for those two. So that verse saying the grinders are few could be referring to what? Losing your teeth. It could be. Because that is also associated with being old. You look at verse 4. The sound of the grinding is low. And so this could perhaps refer to the diminishing sound that happens when you get deaf. I'm half deaf. Yeah, it's my fault. I shouldn't have gone to them concerts, um, you know, which damaged me hearing. I shouldn't have shot shotguns without hearing protection. I shouldn't have used electric tools on building sites without hearing protection. But in those days... You know, that's what you that's what you did and so uh, every time my twins speak to me now I say what sorry <laughs> and the second time when they repeat it it's the same volume as the first time and so I'm no better off speak up speak up it's gone 
Yeah, 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 Yusuf as well, dear. Um, we've got um, we've got another reference there to one rises up at the sound of the bird. It reminds me of how these nuisance birds in our streets they wake up at some ridiculous hour. I don't even think the sun's up, and they start squawking, you know, start singing. It's very beautiful, but you don't want to hear that at four o'clock in the morning. And here, you know, you've got someone who, who wakes up, you know, at the slightest sound, and uh, perhaps that's to do with sleeplessness. I've noticed when people get older, they complain that they sleep less. Um, and I'm a big believer in sleep, and I think what's happening is you need to be active to knock you out to go asleep, to get a good night's sleep. So think about it. If you're old and you're inactive, then you can cope with being asleep for three, three hours a night because there's no activity in the day. But that sleep deprivation has a knock-on effect and causes all kinds of other things. So it's a lack of activity, which is often no one's fault. And then fit, also verse five, I'll mention one more thing, verse five. Are you afraid also of what is high? Now, uh, obviously I consult um, certain other translations of the Bible and uh, I still come to the conclusion that that means heights. So why is it associating fear of heights with old age? Because young people have it as well. It's because people who formerly were okay with going up, working on, you know, up ladders, develop a fear. It goes on to say that there are terrors in the way, which means that uh, there are other things people become wary of as they get older. I can think of driving, because I know people who would drive all over the planet, and then as they get older, they start to say, oh, I don't like driving now in the dark. I don't like driving when it's raining. I don't like driving into a city. I don't like driving when, you know, and, and you get this developing fear of things that formerly they had no problem with. So, this developing fear. And so, I think that's a picture there. Whatever way we look at it, it's a picture of diminishing, uh, at least materially. There's a curious, uh, curious mention of a, a tree and a grasshopper. Just dropped in there. This... Uh, the almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along. I see there a contrast. I see there a great contrast. You see, you have this grasshopper. So the grasshopper pictures an old guy, maybe, dragging himself along, you see. And he has to witness, every year, he has to witness the tree blossoming. In other words, he witnesses new life coming into the world. New life, new life all the time. As he is in decline, new life comes to remind him just how old he is. There's a contrast there. And inevitably, what follows is death. Subject no one likes talking about. Well, it begins in verse 6. 
verses 6, 7 and 8. Death. Before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the, the pitcher, the water jug is shattered at the fountain and the wheel broken at the cistern. Now, I, I, will, I will tell you what I thought that meant and then give a an interpretation that I read that I think it makes a better case. But I'm not here to regurgitate what it says in books. So I will, I will share what I felt it was. I pictured here a silver cord snapping. I pictured here a cottage. I pictured an old lady. She's sitting in front of the coal fire. On her lap is some sewing. And she is weaving in some silver, some fancy silver cord into this creation of hers. A second later, in a point of time has come, the Lord takes back that breath of life he gave her and she drops to the floor, clinging onto this needle and then the cord snaps. Pictured as well, a man in the house and he is uh, walking along with a bowl. It's a special bowl, it's been handed down. It's been handed down through, through the family and it's, it's, it's covered in gold leaf. It's a pride possession of the family. And there's fruit in this bowl and he's carrying it from the kitchen to the dining room. And then his time comes and God decides his time on his earth has finished. And something happens in his brain and he drops to the floor and the golden bowl smashes. And you can imagine a similar scene with the water jug and, and the other things that are broken. That's what I initially thought of. The clever people who write the books say something different, so I shall tell you. They suggest that there would have been uh, golden bowls suspended from the ceiling by silver cords. And so when a silver cord snaps through age, of course the whole thing falls to the floor and, and the golden bowl smashes. And they, uh, they say uh, similar things about the, the broken uh, jug. But Their main case in saying this is, 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 is quite simply this. They say that the, that the golden bowl, which acts as a sort of candle, a source of illumination in the house, that's the source of light. And the water jug is the source of, obviously, water. And so they propose that in these things all being broken, the light of life has been removed. The water of life is no longer available. And I find that quite a convincing argument. Whichever interpretation you want, it amounts to the same thing. The end. This incontrovertible point is that death is coming whether we like it or not. If you are a believer, I pray that you would have a bit more enthusiasm about death. <laughs> I pray you would be able to have more enthusiasm. Some Christians were clinging on to life by their fingertips. 
Um, and uh, so together, let's encourage each other to have the mind of Paul, for example, on this. We said, uh, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But for now, I have some things to do here. So let's crack on. Let's get them done. But in his mind, as I've said to you before, in his mind, he had his bags packed and ready to go. Death is coming. It says there, verse 7, the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave him. Is that separation? This verse, this verse uh, is not to be used to suggest that the spirit returning to God is the immaterial soul of a person. Let me remind you that we've been directed back to Genesis. We were reminded of the picture that we had uh, a carcass, if you like. God put the spirit of life into it. And now the spirit of life is being taken back again. What went in is what comes out, the breath of life. That's all it means. There's a separation. The spirit of life must be united with that body to form the person. And without the spirit, you're nothing, friends. We're, 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 just, we're just chemicals. We're just a mass of chemicals that will break down and turn to dust, which is where we came from. All the, all the, all the chemicals that make up our body can be found in the ground. So don't be too proud. You know, we're just, we're just made of muck, <laughs> albeit in a very creative and beautiful way. Vanity, he says, verse 9, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Now we've seen that this word's being used in a couple of ways. So yes, here we could argue that it, again, it's saying how pointless life is. How pointless life is. The only way you can have meaning in life is for you to have God in your heart. Without that, life is just a, a series of pointless events that lead into your death. But here, I suggest to you that the meaning is the other, the other side of that word, vanity, which is about brevity. I think he wants us to remember how very, very brief life is. It's described as uh, the breath which comes out of your mouth on a cold day. And it lasts a second and then it, it just vanishes. That's what life is like. It's very, very brief. Let me finish with a message to people who are elderly. I'm not going to look at anyone when I say this because I'll be in trouble. But if you regard yourself as elderly, you know that life has become harder in many ways. Your mobility suffers. There's pain, tablets, stiffness, inability to do all the things you used to do. You used to run around like a spring chicken. Now, the body just won't cooperate anymore and for you, if you are a believer and you just you think of yourself as old, I would say, keep
Keep God at the centre of your life. Keep him there as presumably you had him these past years. Keep him there. Don't give in. Don't displace God from your heart by becoming bitter. By being preoccupied with your own uh, afflictions. Take more interest in other people's situations than your own. As far as it is possible within you. This final part of your life is a time when you are to glorify God. Find a way to somehow glorify God in this special golden period of your life when the body is deteriorating, but there are ways you can glorify God that no one else can. Glorify Him. If you are one of those in-between people like me, Serve God. Serve God with all your heart while you can. If you're in that middle age, it's likely you still have plenty of energy. You can still run around a lot. You can still get a lot done. Keep God at the centre and serve Him with passion while you can. Because what you see in those elderly people is coming your way. Serve Him while you can. And a message to young people. The message to young people. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Remember him while you can. Remember him today. Put him at the centre of your life and of every decision you make. Create habits now. Habits of prayer. Habits of fellowship. Habits of Bible investigation and reading. Do that now. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, the scriptures say. Remember now your creator. Amen.